Bibles and flip to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to be in verses 18 through um, 21. 18 through 21. So uh, we've been in a study of the book of Ephesians going uh, verse by verse. And, and chapter 5, we've like put the brakes on in chapter 5 and slowed down. And uh, this chapter we've been spending a little more time in because um, uh, last week we, we unpacked a lot. But then I felt like when we got to verse 18 and he starts to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I felt like that just needed its own a day. It just needs its own time for us to really unpack what um, this is uh, the best teaching in the Bible on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So um, we are going to see what he says about that. And then next week, we're going to talk about marriage. Okay, so next week is a good week to come back if you um, want to learn and grow in your marriage. But today, the Holy Spirit. We're in verses 18. Through 21 in Ephesians 5, and then we'll pray. You ready? Are you ready? Here we go. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in our time uh, in Your Word today, that You'd be glorified, that You'd be honored, and that You would be proclaimed. And I pray that we would be uh, receptive and lean in to hear from Your Spirit today. God, ultimately, I pray that You'd guide uh, my words and my speech, but I, Lord, I pray that we leave here with a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and that we have a better understanding of what that really means. Come and have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, there's one point today, and we're going to unpack this one point, just one, but um, before we get to that, I just want to say, have you like noticed, have you ever wondered um, why there's so much good news in uh, the Christian uh, theology that, that Jesus came and died and, uh, and we have forgiveness and we have a relationship with the God of the universe and He's blessed us with every good thing. I mean, like all the good stuff that we have, how come we know, you know, maybe you are, but we know so many miserable Christians. How come, even you know, in my own life, how come it seems like um, so many times it's we're filled with fear of the future, fear of the unknown, or, or we're riddled with anxiety, or uh, struggling with depression, or seeming to have a sense of uh, consumerism to where we're just not content with what we have and we're always wanting and desiring for more. How come it seems like there, you don't know many joyful Christians? You, you notice? Because here's the thing. You, in your mind, you can think of the one or two joyful Christians you know. 
And you're like, that person, they're always joyful. I mean, it seems like they're always having a great day. And you're like, why is that? How come some people experience this richness in Christianity that I haven't quite experienced? Or how come I don't seem to experience it consistently? I, th I would think the difference is, and what we're going to unpack today, the difference is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, the teaching around Holy Spirit, um, some people get a little, you know, freaked out because there's been, quite frankly, so much bad teaching on the Holy Spirit. But then there's also been a, a lot of just confusion. Like, I don't want anything to do with that Holy Spirit thing because all the experiences I have with it are people who are really weird. And, uh, and I just would rather not really get involved. And even as you're praying this morning that we would leave filled with the Spirit, I'm a little nervous about what's going to happen at church today. Um, and I don't think that should be the case. I think if the Holy Spirit um, is the power of God unto salvation, the Holy Spirit is, is also the power to live the Christian life it would only make sense that the enemy of God would attack uh, the beauty of what the Holy Spirit is to where none of us even want it or we avoid it or we ignore it. And I'm sorry, I even say it because that's how we think of the Holy Spirit. But in reality, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. In... Um, the Baptist world, we are kind of known for uh, the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And we tend to neglect the work of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is that the Trinity is the, whole, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so I really believe that God's going to do some amazing work in us this morning, but um, we're going to really have to get into the weeds of what is the Holy Spirit. So here's the main point, and here's what I want us to leave with today, and, um, and we're going to pull out a lot of different aspects of this, but here it is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Simple enough, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that just in verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the first thing I want you to know is that every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. By one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. We are baptized into the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 We've already studied this. Ephesians 1, do you remember back in, in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, where it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When did that happen? He says, at salvation, when you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. 
Um, that he's the, the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our salvation or the like, like earnest money. And we talked about this. You ever put earnest money down in a house that you're going to buy? And what you're saying is, uh, I'm putting this down and there's more where that came from. Like this is the promise that I'm going to go through on this deal. And so until we come to experience all the promises that God has for us, He's made a lot of promises to us, hasn't He, in His Word? Until we come to realize all the promises that He has for us, the Holy Spirit is the promise that He's going to be good on His Word. Romans 8 and 9 says this, You, however, are not the flesh of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So if you do not have the Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. Therefore, if you do belong to Christ, you do have the Spirit. Period. Um, the question is not, do I have all of the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of me? I just want to pause here and say, um, I was so blessed uh, studying this this week. Okay? I've learned so much by so many great Bible teachers as I've studied this topic, and it has ministered to my spirit and allowed me to experience a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and, and, and clarity around who the Holy Spirit is and how He works in our life. Warren Wearsby said this, the baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. The filling of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. You understand? It's not an issue of baptism. It's an issue of filling. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Every believer has the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not have every believer. Are you getting it? So um, here's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. Are you filled are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And I don't want us to be quick to answer that question because I think we're going to see you can be indwelled, baptized by the Spirit without being filled with the Spirit. So how do we define filling? Well, uh, this word in the Greek really means uh, filled, uh, controlled, intoxicated, thoroughly permeated, totally influenced. That's what it means to be filled. Luke 4, so we see some examples of this idea of filling. Uh, one is in Luke 4, whenever Jesus opened the scroll and read from the prophets, and He said, this is, it's talking about me. I'm the Messiah. And the religious leaders did not like that. And in Luke 4, 28, it says, and when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were Filled with wrath. Like they're filled with this anger. Have you ever, been, you ever been so angry that that's the only thing in front of you? It, it, it controls you. It uh, influences everything that you're thinking about. Or we see in Acts 13 where 
God, the church was growing and God was blessing it and people uh, were coming to salvation and then uh, large crowds were gathering to hear the word of God proclaimed, but the religious leaders became jealous. It says in Acts 13.45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. It's the idea. I so want what they have. I just want the life that they have. I just want the things that they have. I wish I had the spouse that they had. Jealousy. Filled with jealousy. Filled. Here's a simple definition. To be overcome by a power greater than your own. To be overcome by a power greater than your own. That is the Holy Spirit. To be overcome by the Holy Spirit. A power greater than than our own. Whenever I, um, I don't know if I've shared this with, maybe I have. When I was 12 years old, I went to a birthday party at the beach, and, um, and, and then I, we were playing football in the water, and I, I got tackled because I had the ball, and I, I was tackled, and I landed on something with my leg, an unidentified object. Still do not know until this day what it was, but whatever it was, it cut my leg uh, all the way down my leg, probably 10 inches, 12 inches, uh, to the bone, all the way around my thigh, not my thigh, my calf. Anyways, so then I'm looking down at my bone and my leg just flopping out. And I actually didn't feel anything at that moment. It was all nerves were kind of cut and and numb and screaming for help. And this was before cell phones where everybody had one in their pocket. So we're running up and down the beach. They're running up and down the beach looking for somebody with a cell phone. And then finally called the ambulance, went to the hospital. I'm good at this point. I'm waiting for the ambulance with my leg wrapped up in a towel, drinking a Dr. Pepper on the bench of the, everything's good. Um, The problem came when we got to the hospital and they wanted to clean out this wound. And so now I'm on a, a hospital bed on my belly and they lift up my cut leg and pour some type of solution in it. And, uh. In that moment, the worst pain I had ever experienced. I was just one big leg at that moment. I think to this day, that was the worst pain I'd ever experienced. And they finished, and I was like, oh my goodness. And then they said, we got to do it again. (laughs) No! Because you know what? You know what? I was filled. There was nothing else on my mind but my leg at that moment. Filled with pain. Or whenever I think of um, joy, filled with joy. I think of my wedding day, filled with joy. Um, Seeing my bride being walked down the aisle by her father, coming to marry me. And if you've seen my wife, you know that there is a God, is what you know. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't do anything but smile. Uh, we kind of, usually people cry on their wedding day, neither of us cry. We were just laughing. I don't know what it was. We were just giggling and laughing and smiling. There was so much joy in that moment and in that day. And so we got an illustration of filled with pain, filled with joy. It's the idea of Uh, totally overcoming you, taking over you, 
consuming you. He says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let's analyze this verse a little bit. Um, uh, Most of this analysis of the text comes from the grammatical structure in the Greek. Okay, You don't see all these things in the English. But trust me, this is what's happening in the Greek. Now, whenever I say that, people might think, oh, you're so smart. You know what's happening in the Greek. No, I, I know how to use the tools <laughs> to help me understand what's happening in the Greek. Okay, So, um, so don't think much of me, but um, here's, here's some of the things that are happening in verse 18. One, it's a command. This is a command. Um, it's not a suggestion. Um, <laughs> how many of you know that God doesn't make very many suggestions? It's not like, you know what, it'd be really nice if you didn't. No, it's like he knows what's best, doesn't he? And, uh, and he tells us to do what is best. And because it's a command, that means that it's possible. It's something that we can do. Um, nowhere in Scripture uh, are we commanded to have the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture are you commanded to be indwelled by the Spirit or to be sealed by the Holy Spirit or to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But here we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is where we get involved. And uh, because it's a command, we can't just ignore this. We can't just ignore the Holy Spirit. We've got to be obedient to it. Here's the other thing is that it's uh, passive. So it's a command and then it's passive, which means that, that um, it's happening to us, that God is the source of the filling. Um, he's doing it. He fills us when we ask Him So there's things that we do. It's a command. We are obedient to position ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit, but He's the one who makes it happen. We can't do it on our own. There's no ritual, no formula to being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's something that God does to us. Um, We can turn from any known sin. We can uh, open ourselves up to uh, dwell in Christ richly and yield ourselves to the Spirit, but He's the one who does the filling. It's kind of like this. Um, you were wondering when I was getting to this chocolate milk, didn't you? It's kind of like this. Um, this is what it's like um, to be um, indwelt by the Spirit. That's a lot of chocolate, it sure is. The Holy Spirit, we need a lot of it. This is what it's like to be uh, indwelled by, baptized in the Spirit. He, we have Him. He's in there. But uh, this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Totally permeated by the Spirit. And how many of you know this just became a better glass of milk? Sure did. That's good. That's good. That's what it means, okay? Being filled. Um, that's, that's the difference between being indwelled by the Spirit. He's in me. Being filled by the Spirit, He's totally permeating everything that I do. And, um, and so that's what it means. Um, so it's passive. We're inviting something to happen to me. That's what it means, okay? Then plural. It's plural. Again, this is in the Greek. For all believe, th- th- This means that it's 
It's for all believers. He's saying, all Ephesians be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, all Christians be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's for all believers. It's not just for some elite Christians over there. I'll let them do that whole Spirit-filling thing. It's not for me. I'm just going to live my normal Christian life. No, it's for every believer. It's plural. It's for... It's for, uh, it's for me. Everyone say, it's for me. That's right. It's for me. And then it's present tense. It's present tense. Th- this is probably the most important part for you to get today. Um, this means that it's a continuous action. It's continuous. A more technical translation would be, be being filled. Be being filled continually. That's what it means. Be filled and again and again and again and again. Here's how we can remember it. One baptism, many fillings. You're baptized in the Spirit when you receive Christ. You're indwelled by the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Many fillings. You're filled over and over and over again. Does He have all of you? One baptism, many fillings. Y'all say that. One baptism, many fillings. That's right. One baptism, many fillings. In the New Testament, you never see a believer baptized in the Spirit more than once. You never see it. But you do see many fillings of the Holy Spirit. Um, Believers at Pentecost were filled with the Spirit, Acts 2-4. And those same believers were filled again in Acts 4-31. They were filled once in Acts 2, filled again in Acts 4. And they received boldness to proclaim the gospel. One ba- we see it, one baptism, many feelings. Paul was filled once in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, and he was filled again in Acts chapter 13, verse 9. One baptism, many fillings. That's what, it, that's what we're seeing here. It's present tense. So it's a command, we can do it. It's passive, it happens to us, we must invite it into our life. Uh, it's plural. It's for everyone, and it's present, meaning it's continuous. Many, one baptism, many fillings. And then he gives us an illustration. Verse 18. He gives us an illustration of what this looks like. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he uses this illustration of Drunkenness. This is not the only time in the Bible that is, uh, the Holy Spirit is referenced in, illustrated with, contrasted with drunkenness. In um, Luke 1.15, we see it talks about how John the Baptist should not uh, be given to wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see these th- two things there. In Acts 2.4 and verse uh, 13, we see that They were filled with the Holy Spirit and people uh, thought they were drunk, but these weren't, the people who thought they were drunk were their critics. 
the majority of people were amazed at the power of God working through them. So he's like, it's not drunkenness, it's filling with the Holy Spirit. And then right here in Ephesians 5.18. When you're drunk, uh, you don't act like yourself, do you? I mean, I hope that this is not true for any of you, but maybe this is something that is in your past or something that you've witnessed, but when you're drunk, you don't act like yourself anymore. Um, you have no control over your tongue. You'll, you'll say all types of amusing things when you're drunk. And uh, some drunks are uh, funny drunks, and they make everyone laugh, and some drunks are angry drunks, and they make everyone suffer, but um, the reality is whenever you are drunk with wine, you have no control over your tongue, um, and you have no control over your body. Whenever, uh, if you are driving drunk, and then all of a sudden you see lights behind you, and you're being pulled over, and what are they going to do if, if they suspect you're drunk? They're going to take you out of the car, and they're going to go through some exercises. They're going to make you walk a line. They're going to see if you have control over your body. Because when you're drunk, you have no control over your body. You have no control over your mind. You become fearful or anxious or angry or laugh at nothing. Everybody's like, what is so funny? You have no control over your mind and you have no control over your emotions. You get drunk and you cry uncontrollably or you laugh or you're sad or you're angry and you have no control over your emotions. The idea of drunkenness is the loss of control. And nowhere in the Bible does it commend losing control. The Bible says nothing good about losing control. So what this is not saying is lose control to alcohol or lose control to the Holy Spirit. That's not what it's saying. That a person who is drunk is out of control, but a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is under control. That's what the illustration is here. Remember that the fruit of the Spirit, you know the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. What, what's one of the, Holy, the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. The fruit of evidence of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And I say this because there's a whole movement out there that somehow relates the Holy Spirit to losing control. And there's a whole movement that says, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll lose control. You'll begin to do weird things with your body and, and, and you'll laugh for no reason and you'll bark like a dog and cluck like a chicken and you think I'm joking, but this is a real movement in the Christian church of people who associate, because of this verse, they associate being filled with the Holy Spirit with losing control. 
But that's not what it's saying. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul is having to address their conduct in their gatherings, because when they come together, they, they begin to uh, do things that are weird. And he's like, look, whenever an unbeliever comes in and they see what you guys are doing at church, they're going to say, these people are out of their minds. And he says, don't do that. He actually says this in verse 40 of chapter 14. But all things should be done decently and in order. Why do we have an order of service here? I mean, we don't hand one out to all of you, but we have an idea of what's going to happen. We're going to sing together. We're going to pray together. We're going to sit under the preaching of the word together. All those things. We kind of have an order of how things subject to the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit. But the reason why is because he says this. Everything should be done decently and in order. That you should have some self-control. And so what he's saying here is no, um, it's lose control to alcohol, give control to a substance and be a fool, or give control to a person, the Holy Spirit, and have an awesome life, is what he's saying. That's the point. It is true that whenever I am uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, I no longer have control over my speech because I say what God wants me to say or not say what he wants me not to say. I give control of my body to the Holy Spirit. I go where the Holy Spirit wants me to go and don't go where he doesn't want me to go. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and it is his. When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, my mind is set on the things of God. And I'm not filling, take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. I am putting my mind on the things of God and my emotions are given over to the Lord. I'm not consumed with fear and doubt and emotional excess. We are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so here's how I want you to understand this illustration of drunkenness. There's one similarity that whenever you are... uh, Drunk, you're intoxicated, you are thoroughly permeated with alcohol. That's why whenever um, they can do a blood test and see if you're drunk or not. How can they do a blood test? They don't have to get it right out of your stomach, right? Because it permeates your whole body. And uh, in the same way, we are fully permeated by the Holy Spirit. That's the similarity. Everything else is contrast. Lose control with drunkenness or give control to the Holy Spirit, be self-controlled, then why aren't people more controlled by the Holy Spirit? How come I don't live um, more surrendered to the Holy Spirit? Here's some evidence of... Here's some evidence of... um, Evidence I might not be filled with the Spirit. Um, struggling to believe the gospel. I just can't believe it. John 6 says, No one comes unless the Spirit draws him. If you're struggling to believe the gospel, you need an act of the Holy Spirit to draw you. 
or assurance of salvation. Am I really saved? Do I really have salvation? Um, Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That there, are, there is a, a blessed assurance as we sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. There's a blessed assurance when the Holy Spirit ministers to our spirit that we are children of God. Maybe you're heavy-hearted or burdened. John 14 says that He will send a comforter to you. The Holy Spirit is your comfort. Or maybe you're feeling weak, and He says that the Holy Spirit is our strength. Maybe you're consumed with fear. None of you are consumed with fear or anxiety, are you? What's going to happen in this election? We're just a few weeks away. What's going to happen? Maybe you're consumed with fear. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, I pray this over my daughter at night, for I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. One translation says a, a controlled mind. If you're struggling with fear, be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive a sound mind. Or maybe um, I've got a tough decision to make. I don't know which way I should go. John 16 says that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Be filled and be guided. Or maybe I'm struggling with the flesh and temptation. I just keep struggling with this thing. Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the flesh desires against the Spirit and the Spirit desires against the flesh. Okay, so if I am struggling in one or many of these areas, I need, you need to be filled. I need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the remedy. How many things has God promised you in His Word, like joy and peace and victory and confidence, that you're living without them? Why? Because they come from the Holy Spirit. Now, now don't, don't misunderstand. You cannot lose the Holy Spirit. He will always be in you, but He will not always be filling you. Um, so what hinders the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at what hinders the Holy Spirit and then what are some evidence of, some positive evidences of the Spirit. But did you know there's some things that you can do to hinder the Holy Spirit's filling in your life? And, and here they are. Make note of these. Um, resisting the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Holy Spirit. Acts uh, 7.51. I'm going to flip there because I want you to hear these uh, passages. Acts 7.51. says, you stiff-necked people. He, so this is Stephen preaching, and um, I would never say any of this to like any of you, but um, at the moment of they wanting to stone him to death, this is what he said to them. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So resisting the Holy Spirit. I'm not submissive to the Holy Spirit. I don't listen to the Holy Spirit. God directs me to forgive, or God directs me to give something, or God directs me to serve somewhere, or, or whatever it is. God's directing me, and I don't do it. And you forfeit the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Holy Spirit, uh, desiring against the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, just a couple pages to your left. Galatians 5.16 says, 
But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Didn't I just say this? For the, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So desiring against the... There's a war going on in your spirit. There's a war. The flesh is desiring against the spirit. The spirit is desiring against the flesh. There's this war. And whenever I desire against the spirit, I'm forfeiting the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit. We already learned about this in Acts chapter 4, verse 25, where he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let you speak the truth. We saw all these things. He says, um, Be angry and do not sin. Let there be no thief, but rather labor, so don't steal. Um, so you have someone, don't have any corrupting talk. So he lists all these things. Um, and in verse 30, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grieving the Holy Spirit. This word grieve is uh, the word lupeo, which means to cause pain or to cause sorrow. Um, J. Oswald Sanders says, grieve is a term that best speaks love. An enemy can frustrate you, but you can only be grieved in relation to something that you love. That's how God's Spirit feels about us. That He loves us and He's in us, and whenever we do something that He doesn't want us to do, it grieves Him. See, see, the Holy Spirit is in you, which means that He goes everywhere you go. And so whenever you go somewhere that you shouldn't go, and whenever you look at something that you shouldn't look at, what it does is it grieves the Holy Spirit. It causes pain and sorrow to the Holy Spirit because He's right there with you. Quenching the Holy Spirit. Um, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, 519 says do not quench the spirit do not quench uh, the spirit it's the same in chapter 6 of Ephesians we're going to get there um, where he talks about quenching the fiery darts of the enemy what it, it's this idea of putting the fire out quenching the spirit um, I'm not fired up about God like I used to be I, I'm not excited about the things of God that I used to be excited about. You, you ever heard the term, uh, they're, man, they're fired up. Man, they're on fire. They're on fire for God. And some of us talk about our conversion like that. Man, whenever I first met Jesus, I was on fire for the Lord. And I was reading my Bible and I was talking to everybody I knew about Jesus. And, and I was serving everywhere I could. And then it's like, well, what happened? Well, maybe you quenched the Spirit. Spirit's been quenched. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're doing something He doesn't want you to do, but when you quench the Holy Spirit, you're not doing something He wants you to do. The thing He's told us to do. So maybe you get in a fight, you get in a heated exchange, maybe a family member, a loved one, it explodes, you uh, walk away and cool off a little bit and think how regrettable maybe the things are that went on in that argument and you feel the Holy Spirit tell you go say you're sorry 
be the first. I'm, I'm not doing that. Go, go say you're sorry. Be the first. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Go say you're sorry. Be the first. I'm not doing it. You've quenched the Holy Spirit. And you don't hear him speak like he used to speak. Grieving the Holy Spirit, doing what we shouldn't do. Quenching the Holy Spirit, not doing what he asks us to do. Last thing is rejecting the Holy Spirit. Rejecting the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, for, for God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. That the Holy Spirit is um, a messenger to us, to guide us. And... Uh, when, the, when we don't do, when we reject Him, when we say, no, 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 no. You reject it, you can't hear Him anymore. And why are so many Christians so cheerless and so sad and so far from the birthright that you have as blood-bought Christians, sons and daughters, of God. James MacDonald says it this way. found this helpful. God has made no provision for you to live the Christian life. Only for Him, by the Spirit, to live His life through you. Let me say that again. God has made no provision for you to live the Christian life. Only for Him, by the Spirit, to live His life through you. It's like, we need the Spirit. Without the Spirit, we're, 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 we're not living. We're not even living this Christian life. We need Him. Alright, so it's been pretty dark. <laughs> Some things that hinder the Spirit in our life. Let's avoid those things. But then in the rest of this passage in Ephesians, he gives us some of the positive evidences of the Holy Spirit in our life. And here they are, quickly. Um, one is a passionate praise. Look at this in verse 18, 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is he talking about here? One, psalms, let's just, let's just psalms, the Psalter. That's, uh, you have a book of psalms in uh, your Bible. And right in the middle of your Bible, the book of psalms is a book of songs. And uh, so, so that's what he's talking about with psalms. Hymns, we see a few different hymns in the Bible. Some are in Revelation. Um, but think of hymns this way. This is worship music, okay? 
This is singing uh, two God hymns. And then uh, the third one is spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are all other forms of Christian music. So uh, one of the things that a worship leader, I, I'm, I'm not the worship leader here anymore, but Darren is, and, and I was, and one of the things a worship leader has to do is um, discern what is a, a, a hymn and what is a spiritual song. And, uh, and that's a difficult thing because most of the requests we get for songs are songs that you heard on the radio, and most of the songs that you hear on Christian radio are spiritual songs. They're good songs. They edify and lift up our spirits. They sing uh, good things. And uh, they have a place in the life of a Christian. But each one of these different types of Christian music uh, has different roles to play in our life. And so we say uh, we might not sing every Christian song while we're together because we're here to worship the Lord. Now, some of you see that word hymns and you think of the hymns you know. And you're like, see, pastor, we've got to sing more hymns in church. That's what the Bible says. We've got to sing some hymns in church. But the, the reality is, you know this. The hymns that we know did not exist when this was written. Okay, So um, Psalms, the Psalter, uh, the Scripture, hymns, these are worshipful songs. And then a spiritual songs. This, this could be spontaneous. Um, songs that come to you ever do you ever maybe you don't but do you ever just start singing to the Lord I mean like you, you don't know what you're singing but you just start singing out of joy maybe you don't maybe it's just me um, Cammy tells me it's just me but um, but what does he mean here when he says um, addressing one another in Psalms hymns spiritual songs and um, and making melody to the Lord in your heart does that mean that we need to go around saying Hello, KK, how are you today? No, Jenny, you like that, Jenny Lou? <laughs> no? Okay. Does he mean that we've got to go around singing to each other in all of our greetings? No. Um, these two things where he says, sing psalm, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord in your heart. Um, he's talking about the same event from different perspective. Um, this is a vertical, uh, horizontal effect of singing. Um, corporate singing ministers to God, but it also ministers to us. Uh, O'Brien says it this way, that, that it is probably um, right when he says that Paul is not teaching two different responses of singing to one another and to God, but rather he is describing the same activity from different perspectives. That when we sing, more than one thing is happening. And I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, one of the, one of the things that, like whenever we gather and we sing to the Lord, it ministers to our soul being in the room with those who are also singing and uh, lifting higher the name of Jesus. That... Um, there's something that happens here. So it ha we're ministering to the Lord, but then we're also ministering to one another. And uh, some of those powerful moments in praise have been, I was at, we were at a men's conference one time, and they started 
the conference with awesome God, you know, and so it's a stadium like filled with men singing, our God is an awesome, and to just be in the room with thousands of other believers, other men singing, our God is an awesome God, he reigns. I mean, we're singing to the Lord, but it's also ministering to us, and some of the sweetest moments in here is whenever we hear you singing, and I don't know if you know this, but whenever a worship leader, you hear a worship leader pull away from the microphone and stop singing for a moment and, and just let the crowd sing, and you're like, what are you doing? That's your job. You're supposed to be doing the singing. Come on, lead us in singing. And the reality is that we want to hear you sing too. Like that's something that ministers to our soul. Whenever others are singing. So this is the idea that and then it says, minister to God. It says, singing, making melody to the Lord uh, with your heart. I love that. With your heart. It's like something, it's this, um, you're moved by this. It's passionate. It's not just words. It's not just, our God is an awesome. It's not just a mind thing. It's not just a we're singing thing. It's a passionate, with my whole being, I am singing praise to the Lord. This is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. God stirring in you and moving you to sing praise. And then thankfulness in all things. We see this in verse 20. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of things I just want to point out here. Um, not thankful for evil things. And when he says thankful in all things, does he mean we should be thankful for when somebody gets killed? Oh, praise the Lord. You, you, know, you know some of those people, don't you? No matter what happens... Terrible, evil things could happen. Praise the Lord! He, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying be, the, the, evil things grieve the Lord's heart. He's not saying be thankful for evil things. What he's saying is um, be thankful in all circumstances. If the opposite of gratitude is complaining and murmuring and pouting, and then spirit-filled believers are thankful people, not complaining people. I love Dave Ramsey has coined the response whenever someone asks, how are you doing? He, sa- he responds with, do you know, do you know? Better than I deserve. I, I love that. And I've, I've tried to incorporate that some into my life. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. And you're like, how can, how do you, what do you mean? How can you be doing better than you deserve? Well, I think if what we deserve is hell, right? For wages of sin is, is death. We deserve hell. Um, <laughs> then anything above hell is like better than we deserve, isn't it? So it's like, hey, I woke up today doing better than I deserve. And, but what that does, when I've done it, what that does is makes me conscious of the fact that I'm so blessed. That I'm blessed. I'm blessed by God. I need to be grateful. We need to be grateful people. And then joyful service. This is the verse no one likes. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh man, we hate the word submission, don't we? We hate it. Don't tell me to submit. I don't even like that that's in the Bible. If we could have a conversation with the Lord and create a revision, that one, that word right there might be the one that goes. But what's the opposite of submission? Well, I mean, rebellion is, is a way to, is the opposite of, if I'm not going to submit to it, I'm going to rebel. But um, in, the, in this context, what's the opposite of submission? Um, the opposite of submission is, um, it would be to dominate others. 
and to so if you're not submitting yourself to others, you're dominating others and uh, and exalting oneself over them. It's a desire to have other people submit to me, and that's really why we have a problem with this this command to submit yourself to one another is because I want others to submit themselves to me. Right? That's our whole motivation in, in our career is I want to get to the place where I don't have to submit myself to anybody anymore. I want everybody underneath me and being able to submit themselves to me and serving me. And uh, that's um, the opposite of the gospel. I, um, I was on... Um, Instagram this week and uh, came across it wasn't even one of these somebody I follow on Instagram it was, it was one of these like suggested things you've get, gotten that lately where they like suggest things that you might like on Instagram now and part of me wonders if I've been studying this and talking about this and, and researching this topic I kind of wonder if they know because this thing came across and it was uh, an Instagram post, but it was of this guy who tweeted this and kind of posted on his Instagram. I don't even know who the guy was. Again, I wasn't following him. He just came across, and his name was Steve. But um, he says this, Sometimes I joke about what I'd do if I had one day to live. What would you do? Sometimes I I'd think about maybe I'd eat all the junk food I could get my hands on. I would go crazy. I would spend all my money on something. I would, what would you do if you had one day to live? He says, uh, sometimes I joke about what I'd do if I had one day to live, eat junk food, go crazy, etc. Today it hit me. Jesus knew, and he washed feet. Like, whoa. I mean, Jesus, Jesus modeled this submission to others thing for us. The idea is really this, that we'd be in service of others. John 13 is where we see this scene where Jesus is uh, he knows it's his last day. I, I didn't realize that. After I saw that, t- that little tweet, I went back to this passage. Never noticed that before. Right before he washes feet, it points out after realizing Let me just read it to you. John 13, verse 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus, knowing this is my last night. What's the first thing He did? Verse 4. Rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them, the towel that was wrapped around him. If you know the story, you know that he gets some flack from Peter and has a little discussion with them, but then after he washes their feet, verse, 13, uh, verse 12, he says, when he had washed their feet and put, out his outer, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He's called us to submit to one another. He doesn't just call us to submit to authority, although we are called to do that in the Bible. To submit to one another, those who are not just your authorities, but those who are your peers and those who are below you in the societal rank of things. Jesus took the posture of the lowest servant that night to serve, to submit himself. Serving. And that should be our posture. To submit to one another. Why do I do that? I submit to you. I, I don't just submit to you because I respect you. I don't just submit to you because I love you. I don't submit to you to honor you. Why do I submit to you? It says right there out of reverence for Christ. I submit to you and I serve you. I put myself below you because I honor him and I revere him and I serve him and I follow him and he modeled humble service and submission to others all right as we wrap up can we just reflect for a moment how are we filled with the Holy Spirit so we see some negative things that can keep us from being filled some evidences of it maybe you're not filled if you're experiencing this thing and then some positive things the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life is joyful singing and worship and praise to the Lord, thanksgiving in all circumstances, and, and joyful service to others. How am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's just a couple of points that we can posture ourselves to be filled with the Spirit. Recognize your need to be filled. Recognize your, just recognize your need to be filled. I, I, like in humility, just saying, I can't do this on my own. You know what? I've been trying on my own. I've been trying in my own strength. I've been trying to work out and do this, this Christian life in my own power. But just recognizing your need. God, I need you to, to fill me afresh. Confess all known sin. Confess all known sin. you're having a hard time thinking of something, just ask someone in your family and they'll help you identify a couple of things. Can't you think of something there is to confess to the Lord? Something you need to forsake? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we confess our sins, any known sin, Give it to God. Maybe you need to do that right now. Maybe just right now as I'm wrapping up, as we're closing, maybe you just need to close your eyes and begin to confess to the Lord right now. Father, forgive me. Yield yourself completely to God. This is just whatever, God, you want me to do. God, whatever you want from me. I'm not my own. I am yours. I am yielding myself. I am giving control over to you, Jesus and Holy Spirit. And ask the Lord to forgive, to, to fill you. Just ask Him to fill you. 
Um, Luke 11, Jesus says, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so we recognize I need, I can't do this on my own. I need the Holy Spirit. I'm dependent on the Spirit. I'm going to confess all my known sin. I'm going to yield myself completely to God. And I'm just going to ask God, God, would you fill me fresh today? If there's one baptism, one indwelling, that happens at salvation. You have all the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Maybe every day we need to wake up and say, Lord, fill me fresh today. I need a new filling. Be being filled. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And God, would you just fill me right now? Father, I pray that all of us would be filled right now. They had a revival in Los Angeles in the early 1900s, the Azusa Street Revival. And uh, the leaders of that revival, I agree with them, they said this, the solution to the problem of the church today is to solve the individual Christian's problems. And the solution to the problem is a person, the Holy Spirit. He is the antidote for every error, the power for every weakness, the victory for every defeat, and the answer for every need. He is available to every believer for He lives in His heart and life. The answer and the power have already been given to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit? Maybe you need to surrender to God for the first time and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're like me and you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, but today you need to surrender yourself afresh and say, Lord, would you fill me again right now? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I just pray right now that uh, your Holy Spirit would be moving and working and stirring and convicting and comforting where needed, Lord. I pray that you would, uh, for those who are willing today, maybe, maybe if you're in here this morning and you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, just opening your hands, opening your palms upward to the Holy Spirit as a posture, a physical posture, saying, God, would you fill me afresh today? And Lord, I pray for all of those who are wanting and desiring and yielding to you right now, God, we ask that you would give us a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. That your Holy Spirit would fill us and enable us to walk in the Spirit. And that we would experience a nearness and a power in the Holy Spirit that we have not yet had. Fill us afresh today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up for me? Next week we're going to be talking about marriage and I hope you will return. There's OCC shoeboxes outside and, and if you want to respond today you can go to bayoutala.com slash connect. If you've made a decision for Christ or you want to get involved in serving or Whatever decision you want to make or next step you want to make, that's the place to do it and let us know. We want to pray for you. Romans says, uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so, but, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Your love, church. I'll see you next week. God bless you.